Welcome into the 30 for 30 Club podcast. I'm your host, John Thorpe, joined as always by Bobby Nemeth, and it is October 9th, 2022. Bobby, how was your week? Uh, it was a roller coaster. We were just talking about it. I am, uh, as John would say, a bachelor right now. My partner is in Japan for six weeks. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. So I, a lot of uh, preparation, started a new job this week, babysat. Friday was crazy, um, and now I'm just uh, kind of like, it's like a time machine almost. I'm back to being like 20 years old and just sitting in my bed on a Sunday watching baseball and football. Um, kind of nice, but uh, I'm sure it'll, maybe maybe it'll get old at some point. But it's good. It's good. Lots of rest, John. Lots of rest the last uh, 36 hours. What about you? If I were, oh, go ahead. I have to ask you, if I were to go through your shopping receipts at the times when your partner leaves like does the do the items on the grocery trip run change like the day that she leaves you know is it like get certain things when she's around and then you go to the grocery store right after you drop her off at question. the airport like i think i have done that before yes i feel like i think inherently yes right i, I think we're, we'd all be like that I think for me, I would go probably less to the grocery store and buy fewer items at the grocery store if she's not around. But are there any items that, like, you know you'll get judgment if she's around that you just go and No, no. When she's not around. No, it's not like I grab a pack of Oreos or anything. Like, (laughs) I can't do Oreos. I mean, it's a tangent, but, like, that's, that's a bad, bad avenue for me. You can't, I can't revisit my oreo time it's just it's darkness and yeah can't do that okay i think um i think christy might have more that she actually buys when i'm not around than than the other agreed yeah i think hana's the same way she'd buy a lot more if i wasn't around yeah like i've definitely come home to like flaming hot cheetos nice (laughs) nice and been like a half finished bag not not like a big bag, just she's like, like a small bag that's half finished. Yeah, and she's funny. gone too. So you're you're living the bachelor life this weekend as well. I am. Yeah, she is in San Antonio, Texas, staying on the Riverwalk, um, going there for a, a conference, healthcare design conference, I believe. Um, so yeah, I've got four days to myself up here. Went and visited my parents today. Spent all day Saturday doing yard work. So, you know, just I'm just having a crazy dream over here. I know both of us, you're doing yard work, visiting your parents. I'm getting in the bed and not getting out of bed. Living exciting lives in our 30s. Well, my 30s. We do. We also have had a lot of sports uh, consumption this weekend. Yeah, John, we we have. Would you want to tell the folks what you said to me right before we we hit record about sports? Oh, I did admit to Bobby, I said, I'm a little sports out and I'm looking forward to having a break tomorrow and not watching a single live sporting event. Um, shame for shame. Because, you know, with, with the baseball playoffs, there were a lot of games, a lot of wildcard games that we'll talk about. Um, Saturday is always, you know, college football day. And I I watched like the equivalent of one game. I was flipping channels between a couple games. Um, 
And then, you know, get squeezing in a little bit of NBA preseason basketball just to see what teams look like. Um, so it's been a lot of sports consumption for me, and I think my brain needs a rest. I just don't even understand. It's a foreign language to me, John. Hey, you know, I'm just, I'm not on your level yet. Maybe That's I'll true. get there. That's true. We'll get you there. Don't worry about it. Um, speaking of talking about college football, how's the Pac-12 doing? Yeah, the Pac-12 is changing rapidly before our very eyes. I think after, you know, week three, week four, there were some pretty clear, um, I'd say some pretty clear leaders in the conference. And it looked like, oh, the pac 12s back. Like there were, I think, four ranked teams, USC, Utah, Oregon, Washington. Um, and then UCLA is ranked now, now though, aren't they? They are now, yeah. This was this was like after the first few weeks. Um, oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I think there there was one week where all, all four of those teams were top fifteen teams in the country. So you know you're feeling pretty good. Well, since then, UW has dropped two in a row. Uh, one was to UCLA. They're six and zero, so that's respectable. But they lost a pretty bad game to the Arizona State Sun Devils yesterday. Yeah, big yikes. Um. So they will fall out of the top 25. Uh, then Utah lost to UCLA yesterday. Utah, the reigning Pac-12 champ, they're already 4-2 and two on this young season. I say young season, but we're technically we're almost, almost halfway, halfway through. Almost halfway through. And that's kind of crazy to say. It is. Like, they've all played six games already. Um. And then we had Oregon State, you know, was looking like a pretty pesky underdog and looking to build off their momentum from last year. And uh, they lost last week and then almost lost to a terrible Stanford team yesterday. Um, they did pull it out by one point. But I'm telling you, this this is probably the worst Stanford team we've seen in a very long time. So a little disappointing there. Uh, Oregon beat the crap out of Arizona. Oregon has been basically they had the terrible Georgia game and then they have dominated in the Pac-12 so far. Dominated. So, I mean, I don't know if I'd say dominating. They they probably should have lost to Wazoo. I think Wazoo gave that game away. Yeah, that's true. The 22 points in like 3 minutes. Outside of that, you're right. Um but yeah, so the the top of the Pac-12 is just kind of a question mark. It's like, is it USC who almost lost to Oregon State a couple of weeks ago? Is it UCLA who's six and zero but hasn't? You know, they last year had a lot of hype and then kind of fell apart in the second half. Are they going to fall apart again? Um, is it Oregon? Is it you know probably not Washington anymore? So a lot of a lot of question marks in the Pac-12, I think. There's a lot of teams it's, in the mix uh, there for sure. Yeah. What do you any opinions, Bobby? Or I would you know, like I know I haven't seen USC play, but they are, I believe, the highest rated team at number six in the country. I think yeah. that's easy to say. Maybe they're the team to beat, but I don't know. I, I feel like the way UCLA is climbing up, maybe that's the best team in the Pac-12 and Oregon. Uh, you know. They obviously look terrible against Georgia. Georgia's probably the best team in the country. Um, so, like, 
yes, like you got to give them a little bit of leeway there, but if they're a team that wants to compete in the CFB playoffs, well, they got to show up a little bit better against a team like Georgia. So there's a lot of teams in the mix. I think it's really interesting because I feel like most years there's maybe like, I don't know, two teams maybe that are in the top 25 and making some noise, and there's a lot of teams this year. So I don't know. It'd be fun to see UCLA start to kind of get back to some some sort of notoriety. Mm-hmm. This is their first 6-0 start since 2005. That's a long Fun time. little stat for you. Yeah, yeah I was like, I, I guess I forgot how bad UCLA was yeah. for the, 20, the 2010s. Yeah, they've been at like a non-factor for a while. So it's it's cool to see them. And I, I think Washington State, you know, the Pac-12 as a whole is a, a much better conference this year, um, which for somebody like you and the people in the Northwest uh, is a pretty cool thing. I think they're a better conference because almost all of their good quarterbacks are transfers from the big 10 and the sec <laughs> you do what you can you know so anyway it's a halfway mark of the pac-12 football season we'll have a fun second half to go moving over to basketball well not not really basketball just basketball adjacent i should say um the big drama in the sports world this week the Shocker. nba just the can, nba can with never another story <laughs> Every week, there's something in the NBA. So, Draymond Group, <laughs> Draymond Group, Draymond Green, and Jordan Poole are teammates for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Draymond, you know, legendary Hall of Fame uh, career already, uh, and then Jordan Poole, kind of a young upcoming player who's looking to get a really big extension as soon as this week. Uh, they're in practice. They get into a little bit of a scuffle, and Draymond start. You know, they start shoving each other. Draymond just punches Jordan Poole to the ground. Like this is not a oh we're like a typical oh we're teammates and we're kind of like jawing at each other. This no. is a you meant to do damage. Like, send a guy to the hospital. Yeah, yeah I mean punch. he put his weight into it. Yeah. Um. And so the report came out about that on Wednesday, but then it wasn't until either Thursday or Friday that we got a leaked video of the incident. And so I should back up the originally it was just, oh, they got into an altercation. Draymond punched Jordan Poole. The Warriors are going to handle it internally. There's not going to be any NBA, uh, you know, interference. Uh, yeah. Interference for suspending him. And then the video comes out and now the warriors are like they have to do something because this is now out in public and you could see just like how brutal of a attack that was um and they're gonna have to probably suspend him but the question is like how long are they gonna suspend him he's now been removed from the team during preseason uh they've instructed him to to basically you know not come back to camp for the time being um what do you what do you think about all this like you, you taking sides you uh how do you think the warriors have handled this i think my first reaction to things like this is to kind of sit back and then listen to first the team and the players involved and then listen to nba players or athletes that have been on a team and have been been in heated altercations in situations with their teammates they're all competitors 
and kind of get their reaction on it before I jump in with my own, because it's really easy to have an initial knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, that's that's horrible, or oh, well, you know, they're just competitive players, it's nothing. It's really important for me to kind of sit back and gather the information from people that are actually involved in those situations in real time that have been through something like that, um, that actually have perspective on it. And my what from what I've gathered, for most people, um, they feel that the way I did on my knee-jerk reaction is that uh, that was unacceptable. Like, the way somebody put in perspective too, Draymond Green, I believe, is like three to four inches taller than Jordan Poole. He outweighs him by 40 pounds. And he's like 10 years older than Jordan Poole. So this is a veteran presence on the team. This is somebody that has size and weight on another younger player and punched him sucker punched him really um, with the intent of harming like you say okay well every punch is intent sure but sometimes it's just it's a quick jab like this guy literally put his whole weight it was just like it was like a street fight punch like he put everything he had into punching jordan pool right right in the face and jordan pool collapsed i i just got it like it's to me and my reaction and what i've seen from the nba and other athletes is like, like, Draymond's got to be out for a while. Like, if I'm in that clubhouse or in that locker room, how can you look at him as a leader anymore after that? And, you know, Draymond, is he's always been in the mix for arguments and scuffles and fights and things like that. But I feel like this is something that kind of crossed the line. And I think a lot of players feel that, too. Yeah, I mean, he... It's kind of what you sign up for a little bit with Draymond. Uh, like... He, he probably has some of the most like high intensity I've ever seen in the NBA. Like in, in my time in the NBA, maybe you could say like Michael Jordan or Dennis Rodman, guys like that sure. were on a similar level, but like um, you, you look into his eyes and like, there's, there's something there that other players don't have. Um, and he's one of those players that's like, you love him when he's on your team and you hate him when he's not. Um, but so, you know, he's, he's kind of always had that reputation of being extremely intense and emotional on the court and apparently off the court as well. Um, I'm amazed that Jordan Poole's not injured. Like he was playing a preseason game tonight against the Lakers and looked just fine. And I was like, how does he not have like, broken jaw right now or something you know yeah who knows like, I, get, I didn't it was a blurry video so you didn't see exactly where draymond connected yeah but how how many suspensions do you think they have and and do you think the nba steps in or do you think the warriors kind of um just come up with no man i mean you're you're more of an expert own. on the nba and how they handle situations what do you think do you think the nba is going to step in after i, I mean because i would think initially uh, now this is a pr thing with the nba so i would mm -hmm. think yes but you have more perspective and experience with the nba than i do so what do you think my guess is that the warriors will announce the suspension i think they'll suspend him for like the first two regular season games um because he's not coming back during the preseason i don't think um sorry my my dog is now. Is that a panting? What is that? You know, she, she's um, 
scratching at the carpet to make a nest for oh herself. i see it naturally yes um he's not going to come back during the preseason i think the team says he suspended the first two games and i think the nba goes along with that and i think that it's probably like a backdoor call between adam silver and the general manager of the warriors and it's like hey you should do like this at a minimum this is adam silver talking like sure suspend him for two games minimum if you want to go beyond that be my guest but like we won't step in as long as it's two games and you can say it's your own internal policy that's my guess so there'll probably be a fine on top of this i would assume not just suspension but probably hefty fine maybe although i don't know if I mean, I guess I don't know if a team can fine a player because usually that money team has can, to like team, go a team can fine the, a player for sure. I feel like usually that money goes into like the NBA pool and it then it gets like yeah, where it's distributed, I'm not sure, through. but but yeah, teams yeah. do fine players for certain things. Okay, but yeah, I think two games, regular season games, my guess. Two man, what about ten? Get him out of there. I don't think so. I mean, when there's like pretty bad flagrant foul stuff in uh, the regular season or even in the playoffs, it's usually like a one or two game suspension. Like there's very rarely. This is obviously a little different because it wasn't during a game and it wasn't meant to be public. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, right? When you say that is whoever leaked this, like certainly they no longer have a job with the Warriors because this is something that probably should never have been seen by the public's eyes. Yeah. And that kind of brings another like subtopic of this out. There were a lot of athletes coming out, not defending Draymond, but kind of, I would say attacking the, the leaker. Right. Saying, um, you know, at what point does this, do we have privacy anymore in this world? Like whatever happened to having, um, things stay between a locker room, stay within a locker room. And I'm curious what you think of that. Like, is that a fair reaction, criticism from professional athletes? Or I mean, I think in a in a closed door practice where everybody there is a warrior uh, member of either the team or or employee, like it's closed doors. It's it's under wraps we're not talking about uh, a game or you know somebody out in the streets like whatever it may be in the public eye like this is something that is behind uh, in a private uh, environment and it was leaked to the public so whether that was an employee or somebody had snuck in was filming who knows more than likely it was probably an employee that's again no longer employed um, I think that's fair I think something like this considering the location where they're at um should never have been public and i and i think as an athlete you have to kind of question like man like where where is the line like is our whole lives just going to be exposed like even the people that we trust to hold this privacy for us that will not um that's that's a tough pill to swallow and i can understand um being upset by that for sure Mm -hmm. yeah i think that I think the timing was interesting of, of, you know, the athletes saying that basically right after the video came out, like within an hour of it. Um, Cause I think 
maybe taking the devil's advocate side of this out it, they were they were shift they were shifting the topic away from what Draymond actually did and more towards privacy and publicity and i thought that that was just in, an interesting strategy in the moment to kind of um make it a discussion about something else yeah you know and maybe that's leading to the fact that maybe stuff like this happens quite often and we just never see it and now we have and that's why maybe some of that feedback was like that saying like oh well like this happens but you know it's handled internally um i don't know or maybe it is just a kind of a you know a statement on society nowadays and how if you're a celebrity in any way shape or form that you're just always in the public eye and so that's why it was focused on that rather than the incident itself I, who knows yeah i think my reaction when the athletes were saying that was um and maybe this is like this is because i'm not a celebrity but i was kind of like well duh like if i were a celebrity in 2022 like i would never assume anything is private <laughs> Like out basically outside of my home. Yeah, but like I would assume anyone is filming me at any time. Like even like there's gotta be certain lines. And I think like this would have been one of those lines to not be crossed or typically like a home where mm. you know, media and, and so on is not allowed and the only people involved in that facility are warriors employees like you have to feel like this is a place uh i can trust that i can feel safe in and i i think now the question is well can you can you feel safe and i think yeah. that's a difficult thing and yeah I, I hear what you're saying but man like these are you just talked about this man uh, athletes are human beings too and at some point like we have to allow them to have some humanity and part of that is a little bit of privacy and it's crazy that in these small and rare situations where they are supposed to be completely private, um, even that wall is getting broken down. So I get why people are upset by it. Yeah. And, and to clarify, I'm not saying that that shouldn't that there. I believe in privacy. I'm just, I think, taking a cynical approach to it of like expecting the worst of people well, i think that's the hard thing is because now when you're out in public i think now they're kind of thinking like the same way that you just said like man i really do have to be on guard literally at all times and that's mm -hmm. that's really shitty yeah i mean i like i think i've told this story on the podcast maybe not when when i met the head coach of the blazers one time just literally off the side of the street i approached him on the sidewalk he was very guarded in what in our conversation when I was just trying to have a, you know, a fan to coach spontaneous interaction. Like it was almost as if he was giving me talking points from a press conference. And that I think for me was a real moment of like, wow, like these guys are very guarded. Yeah. Because they have, have to, to be. be. Have yeah. to be. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens, what comes down with the suspension. Like I said, the NBA is involved and, and the reaction from the teammates, I, you know, I wonder, it's a very veteran locker room that has dealt with Draymond his entire career. They probably can move past it, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they actually do. And if Jordan Poole can really 
look back up to Draymond as a leader because that's now on uh, Draymond's side of the court to amend that relationship because he has to. Like, you can't have a fractured locker room. You can't. For sure. And and also, it may affect his payday. Both of the, They are both free agents at the end of the season. Um, so Draymond stock going down. Jordan Poole, does he have more leverage? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. All right. MLB playoffs. Wild card. What a weekend. It started. Uh, we're going to go through. We're going to start with the NL, and then we will end with uh, the team. I think everyone wants to talk about the darlings of the MLB, yes. as I say. So we'll start with Cardinals, Phillies. This was, uh, recall, the Cardinals won the, uh, the NL Central, and the Phillies were the last team in. And just kind of uh, Bobby and I all year were like pretty okay, skeptical that, that we were pretty skeptical that the Phillies were going to make the playoffs. Um, very poor defense, not great pitching. It was kind of like their offense is really the only good thing about this team. And Aaron Nola. And Aaron Nola. Uh, True. And Sir Anthony Dominguez because... He has a really cool first name. Uh, his his first name is Sir Anthony, not you Sir Space. Really Anthony. do connect with pitchers with unique names. I really do. Um, and on the Cardinals side, there's Juan Yepes, which I think Yepes is a really fun last name. But anyway, the uh, the Phillies were not supposed to be a very good team, and they certainly weren't supposed to be better than the Cardinals. So what happened? Uh, Cardinals really, they choked on all fronts. And another huge reason why they lost is their two MVP candidates, uh, they didn't show up. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado combined for one for 15 with six strikeouts. They did nothing. Did nothing. Albert Pujols did more for the team. That man is 75 years old. And I think that's a huge issue. You know, collectively, they only scored two runs in two games, so offense wasn't there. They were up 2 nothing. You know, if you, guys, if you watch the series, they were up 2 nothing in game one in the ninth inning. The Phillies had only two hits that whole game. They were basically dead on arrival. And, uh, man, that bullpen came in and absolutely blew the game for them. Phillies end up scoring six runs in the ninth and uh, in one game one. And then in game two, uh, the Cardinals got shut out lost uh what was it it was two nothing was there garbage runs i don't remember but i think it was two nothing cardinals just never they never showed up in game two uh completely deflated i mean you paul goldschmidt struck out three times in game two and there was a shot of him sitting in the dugout and i don't know if i've ever seen anybody look more defeated than he did uh it just wasn't there they as a whole team they didn't show up i think after that game one loss um I think they were done. I think they just got mentally defeated after blowing that save and blowing that game. They they didn't come back at all. Just no competitive spirit, no fight in them. And uh, yeah, the Phillies took advantage of that. And it wasn't like the Phillies played out of their mind. You know, they only scored two runs in game two. They, like I said, two hits and eight innings in game one and then just kind of were handed six runs with a couple errors and walks in the ninth inning. So it's not like the Phillies showed up and just blew them out of the park. Uh, the Cardinals just, just didn't have it. 
Yeah, and you mentioned the strikeouts. I'm looking at the box score right now. What's really interesting is that the rest of the Cardinals lineup didn't really strike out that much at all. Like, you down that column, you see Goldschmidt with three, Arenado with two, and then you just see a bunch of zeros. Yeah. And so, like, clearly the pressure was getting to the top players on the team. No doubt about it. I mean, there's no denying it. You know, these are the guys that hit three, four in the lineup, had incredible seasons. You know how much 11 to one Arenado. Paul Goldschmidt had a really bad September and it, it kind of trickled into October. And I think he was just going through a slump and mentally not there. And it showed. I also sidebar. Great baseball name that I just discovered. I didn't even know about this go. guy. The Cardinals leadoff hitter yesterday. His name is Lars Newtbar. Yeah, Newtbar. Great name. Yeah, there's a sign Great that they name. have for him in the, the stands. It kind of looks like, uh, what is it? Um, oh, there's a chocolate bar. It's called like, oh God, what is it? Like good. Good, good bar? Good bar? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think that's what it is. Yeah, the Mr. Good Bar. It's that, if you can imagine that packaging. But it says Newt mm. Bar, Mr. Newt Bar. I thought that I was kind of funny. I, I still think baseball attracts the weirdest names. Maybe it's because they have the largest rosters and it's just a statistical thing, but they don't have the largest roster. NFL has the largest rosters. Well, yeah. I guess I meant um I meant like with the greater organization with all the minor league teams. I but. suppose. I suppose. So, yeah, man, Phillies moved on. They'll face the Braves in the DS. Uh, do you think they have any? We'll get into predictions later, but uh, do you think they'll compete at all against the Braves? They can win a game. You think so? I think well, maybe. I don't think it, I don't think it'll be a sweep, but it'll be interesting. Like, how soon does Aaron Nola come back? Yeah, you he know, was can great. They get, can they get him back before they're swept <laughs> is the question. And I think that's, that is a big question because they, I mean, Zach Wheeler had a decent start, you know, you'll probably see him in like in game two or something like that. Um, but if Noah comes back and they're already down O2, um, I don't know if they can come back from that because their starting rotation depth is just not there. They have Wheeler and Nola who are, and Nola's having a great September lead in october but after that it's it's not much there so we'll see we'll see if they can catch a game off the braves all right padres mets the new york mets have been eliminated from playoffs after having the first place in the nl east division for like you know uh 105 175 days john they had it for 175 consecutive days. They were in first place. And the first weekend, and they're already out of the playoffs. What a letdown for the Mets, Mets fans. met once again. We can always count on them Indeed to, to come do. through. So what happened in this series? I, I know you were watching this one. I did. Quite a bit this week. Yeah, I watched, I watched all the games. Um, you know, I predicted this. I predicted that the Padres could win and would win because I felt like their one through three collectively was better than the Mets one through three starters. 
And, you know, there was some questions about DeGrom and Scherzer because they looked a little rocky towards the end of the year. And I really was more questioning DeGrom, who actually turned out to have a really good start. Uh, but Scherzer, man, game one gives up, uh, what was it, seven runs in four and a third innings. That's not it. They paid that guy 40, what, 40 something million dollars this year to give up seven runs in his first playoff start for the team. That's crazy. You can't win like that. And it, I think it is kind of fitting that the story coming this season is that Scherzer and DeGrom, the Mets will go as far as Scherzer and DeGrom can carry them. And really, that's why they lost. And I really felt like uh, in game three, so like I said, Scherzer gave up seven runs in game one. So Padres took that game pretty easily. And then the uh, the Mets took a game two actually pretty easily. DeGrom had a great start. And in game three, it was Musgrove, Joe Musgrove against Chris Bassett. And I this is where I felt like this is why the Padres would win. It's because I felt like Musgrove was much better. It's a much better starter than Bassett. And sure enough, he went lights out. Seven innings pitched, one hit. The Mets had no chance. Absolutely no chance. They they completed the game with only one hit and two base runners total. They lost the game uh, six nothing, and uh, the Padres move on. And with Degrom, you know, it's not that surprising given that he was out for most of the year, and it takes time for guys to sure. get back into things. And he, you know, even though he had the month of September, it, still, it's like you know, it's not the same as having pitched a whole season and just being in a rhythm, being in your routine. Uh, whereas Scherzer did have the whole season. And he had a really good season. Like, I don't recall any signs of him breaking down. He had an oblique injury season. for a while. I, I, I meant like in terms of performance. Oh, for sure. Think, yeah, he had a good season. You know, this wasn't this wasn't foreshadowed in the last eight weeks or something. I think it must have been his worst start by far of the entire season. Probably was given that he had a 2.2 ERA. Right. So they didn't show uh, up. I didn't feel like, you know, Francisco Lindor is the guy I think needs to be the team to to lead. And he didn't. I mean, he had a home run. He had a solo shot, I think, in game two. But that was pretty much it for him. And I felt really felt like Pete Alonzo was the guy that he was the guy that had the heart and was really putting in and having really good at bats and being the most competitive um, at bat in that lineup. And um, man, if, if Frankie Lindor is not there being the best player on the field, then I don't really feel like the Mets are going to succeed. Like, yeah, they have some good players. Uh, obviously Alonzo had a great year and, you know, Jeff McNeil won the batting title and uh, starting the Marte is a crazy good athlete. And so they all support the success of that team. But if Frankie Lindor is not popping off, then the Mets aren't popping off and they didn't. I have a totally meaningless question for you about this series since you watched it all. Yeah. When Edwin Diaz came out in the seventh inning, did they play the trumpets? Yeah, they did. Or is that a night? They did. Okay. Yeah, and they also played the trumpets today. So they brought in Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning when they were down four to nothing, and they played the trumpets. And I thought that was a little weird. 
I think a lot of people thought yeah, that was a little maybe, weird, and he subsequently pushing it a little. He subsequently gave up a two-run single to Juan Soto to uh, put the team down six nothing. Really wasn't his fault. It was a little little podunk ground ball that, you know, without the shift, you know, would have been an easy ground ball out, and he inherited two runners. But still, I think that's another key for me is that all these acquisitions the Padres made either in the off season or in mid season, it all came together. It all came together. Trent Grisham had a great series. Um, Profar had a great series. Soto was hitting. Bell was hitting. Um, so, like, the master plan was finally coming in and coming to fruition for the Padres. And I got to tell you, man, with that rotation and if all those players start clicking, like, it's got kind of like 2019 Nationals vibes to it. Like, this is a team that could get on a heater and do some damage. Well, they've certainly taken a lot of big swings and not literally but the the front office has really gone full-on like high risk high reward so what they do you know it's what they do off right now and they'll play the dodgers in the next round they're obviously very familiar with the dodgers being the same division so both both division series are division rivals it's kind of funny but the padres i believe went four and 15 against the dodgers so you know they don't have a very good resume this year but you know, once the playoffs start, uh, you know, anything's possible. Yeah, I uh, I still think the Dodgers probably uh, feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I would I would still feel pretty confident in the Dodgers in that series. But I, I'm just saying I would not be shocked if the Padres somehow end up winning that series. But I still will go with the Dodgers. It'll be a little David and Goliath action. Okay, so the... Rays and the Guardians played baseball this weekend. Uh, it, it happened. Oh, some ugly baseball. Thing. Oh my god. Um, I don't blame you if you didn't watch this game, either game, or if you didn't even know it was happening because there wasn't a lot of balls being hit. <laughs> no, there was not. <laughs> Offense was not uh, not something that was very prevalent. Which you know is not super surprising, given like the reputations of these two Absolutely. teams, like incredible pitching staffs and tip you know typically and incredible like just analytics with their defensive schemes and you know these these teams are not known for offensive explosion but this was like at another level where neither team really did much Uh, we had a extra innings zero zero game that went to the 15th inning i believe is that right yep yeah. Um, so game one was uh, McClanahan versus Bieber. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, maybe you could argue next series, Luis Castillo and Justin Verlander, but Ooh, that would like, be good. two amazing pitchers going at it. And both of them went deep into game one, but the uh, the Guardians just had a little bit more offense than the Rays did. And, um, you know, it i came into this series thinking that the guardians would win i didn't think that they would win quite this way but um i'm not incredibly surprised the rays offense is not the most trustworthy offense in the whole world um their bullpen actually held up pretty well which i was a little worried about their bullpen but what do you think of this series what, what am i missing it was ugly man so ugly. That's what I thought of the series. 
I guess probably it, the two, two games. So probably the two <laughs> worst teams in the playoffs. I think. Well, maybe the Phillies are in there too. I think the Rays are probably the worst team that actually made the playoffs, considering where they're at. Their pitching is not as dominant as it's been in the past. It's still very good, um, but their offense was, like you had mentioned, um, pretty pretty below par, pretty below average, and much worse than it had been in previous years. Uh, These two teams were one of the... um, the worst in major league baseball on um in home runs and runs scored via the home run and i thought it was very ironic that every run scored in this series was via the home run by teams that are typically pretty bad at that granted it wasn't very many runs uh i you know i i just don't i know the guardians have good pitching I don't see them being competitive against the Yankees. I'm not trying to be a bias there. I just think their offense is so poor. You know, they have a couple people in there. Obviously, Jose Ramirez is extremely good, um, but that's pretty much it. And they get some interesting production out of the rest of their team. And they have the youngest team in Major League Baseball, too. Uh, but overall, this was uh, this was not the series to watch if you were getting into playoff baseball. Uh, it was gray and gloomy, like... Bad offense. Yeah, pretty uh, ugly at bats. Decent pitching. A 15-inning game where nobody scored a run. Um, which, if you're watching at home, is very boring. But I think in person can be kind of exciting because there's tension in the stadium. But it, like as for a viewer experience, this, was, this, was not, this wasn't it. We had an individual who shall not be named that went uh, 0 for 5 with 5 strikeouts. So that's fun. I didn't see that. Who was that? Andres Jimenez, who was um, a lot of people really liked this season. Five Ks, man. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's. I think that's in the nutshell explains explains what everybody was watching between the Guardians and the Rays. Um, yeah, quick ugly series. I think it could have gone either way. Obviously, uh, I think the Rays could have easily won that series because they're essentially the same teams. Kind of you. You kind of hit hinted on that. Uh, they're built very much the same based on pitching young players, not very powerful offense and just score runs in interesting ways. So the Rays only lost the game by each game by one run, um, which funny enough, dating back to the regular season, they lost five straight games to the Guardians by one run. So that's kind of that was interesting. Yeah. And the game was, de- or the series was decided by a rookie, Oscar Gonzalez, hit the uh, game-winning home run on SpongeBob. Saturday. So, oh, real quick, what did you think about them bringing in Kluber in the fifteenth, their worst starter, who subsequently gave up the walk-off home run? Well, they had already used, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six relievers. Um, so. But they have I guess I'm not lights out surprised. starters. Why bring your worst starter in when you're on the verge of elimination? Bring in maybe not like Rasmussen, but one of the other starters. Like, don't bring in Kluber. I I can't I don't know what to tell you. I think they were thinking, oh, we gotta play in like ten hours. <laughs> we probably shouldn't bring in a, a starter. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta treat that game as your last game, and I thought that was 
another poor call by Kevin Cash. Going with the analytics instead of what was logical. Yeah, I'm not I'm not fighting you on that one. So Guardians okay. move on. Face the Yankees and the DS. Optimistically feel yeah. like the Yankees should win that series. Especially since uh Bieber's already pitched. Correct. Yep. McKenzie. Yep. All right, so now the most exciting of uh, the wild card round, in my opinion. The Seattle Mariners and the Toronto Blue Jays played only two games in Toronto because the Mariners took care of business, Bob. Yeah, they did. Let's go. Seattle gets a uh, home game, playoff game. Game one was pretty much, um, I wouldn't say picture perfect. Like it wasn't a Hollywood script, but it was, uh, you know, it. it the game plan worked score early and then, you know, have your best starting pitcher and one of your best relievers finish the job. I mean, it worked Luis out Castillo and Andres Manos. It worked out perfectly. I mean, it was like you said, pitcher perfect. It was exactly as they drew it up. Yeah. Four runs in the first inning and then no other offense outside. Of that. <laughs> Which is kind of a, a not, usually what you see in the playoffs but yeah it was interesting that toronto didn't uh i mean luis castillo is a stud and munoz is a really tough reliever but to get shut out in game one at home with all that energy in that stadium i think says a lot about the confidence and the culture of that team and the competitiveness of that team i think they said munoz was pitching like 103 yeah, he's electric, um, man. And he's got such a dirty slider. Like, he's not just pumping, you know, those cannonballs past you. Like, he's got a filthy slider. He's He can be really unhittable. I think it was a clip with Vlad Jr. where Munoz pitches, like, a 103-mile fastball. And it's not even, like, in the corners. Like, I think it was pretty close to the middle. And you can see Vlad's just, like, Whoa. Like, what the hell do I do with that? <laughs> like, I probably should have swung at that because it was right down the middle, but didn't realize that. Couldn't hit it. Uh, I just thought that was funny. He's he's very good. So they take care and, of the Jays. Oh, we, game one. We should nothing. take. We should. Oh, OK. I thought you were going to skip game two. No, 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 no. John, please. Please. Okay. OK. Put the knife down. Tell us. Tell us what happens in game two. Well, the Mariners got blown out for most of the game. The Jays really took control. Robbie Ray did not have it. I believe he gave up, uh, I think, four, five of the runs. Before you know it, four runs. Jays were up eight to one on the Mariners. And he kind of felt like, well, this is to be expected. Toronto's got a really high powered offense. And. They had Kevin Gossman going, who's a guy that really, if he gets his stride, can be really hard to score on. He doesn't give up walks. Um, he doesn't give up a lot of home runs. So you're thinking, okay, like this makes sense. This is the Blue Jays team that we we expect. Um, but hold on. Wait a minute. Here come the Mariners, chipping back. Sack flies, little hits here and there. Bases loaded walk. Carlos Santana, three-run home run. Okay, now it's 8-5. Now we're feeling like, okay, they're within striking distance. Here we go. And then uh, J.P. Crawford comes up, bases chucked. 
gets this little very Jorge Posada reminiscent uh, bloop single slash double with two outs. And uh, unfortunately, you know, like obviously safety is always going to play paramount. Um, JP Crawford hit this bloop single and uh, George Springer and Bo Bichette just they they ran right into each other just headlong no like nobody let up at all like as hard as either of them could run right into each other it was kind of a scary situation but the ball got in there all runners scored we're sitting at an 8-8 tie game uh and then just before you know it the like the wind is out of the sails in that stadium and in that team and it just kind of felt like after all of that that the Mariners were going to find a way to win that game and sure enough sure enough they did uh, I always forget his name. It's is it Aaron Nola or Austin Adam, Nola? Well, Adam Frazier is the one that scored the last run, or that he got uh, the hit, got the last RBI. So yeah. it was Frazier. Adam Frazier, double to right, and Cal Raleigh, big dumper. Cal Raleigh was the one that got them the playoff, uh, clinching with the walk off homer. He also scored to tie up the game, and. He scored to win the game. He was the actual person to uh, cross home. The dude's just always in the middle of it. And it's a catcher. Can you believe it? And that was a ballsy call, too. So Cal Raleigh got, um, I don't remember if it was a leadoff or a one-out double. He's on second with uh, the game-winning run, right? He's, He's a big, slow catcher. And they did not pinch run for him, which I thought was a mistake. But then Frazier comes in and just laces a double that completely took that out of the equation. So I thought the everything just fell into place for the Mariners because, like, I think strategically that was a terrible decision to leave them in at second base and not pinch run for him. But it worked out. The Mariners go up ninety eight nine to eight and uh, or ten to nine. What was it? No, it was ninety eight. Ten ten no ten, 10 to nine ten to nine. And um, the yeah, the Blue Jays came out and just no competitive at bats. He kind of felt like they lost already. Yeah, I mean, when you're at home and you're leading a game, a home playoff game, eight to one, and you let the team come all the way back, like, yeah, I mean, you're they were beat before the game ended, it felt like. And unlike the Rays, they put in one of their good starters to close the game, George Kirby. Another interesting who, decision. Uh, was the uh, rookie closer. <laughs> his first career close was also his first career save. Um, that was pretty cool to watch. I mean, he, it was a really big moment and he kept his composure. I think he, he did give up a walk, which is ironic because they brought him in because he's a strike machine. I think he has the highest percentage of strikes thrown out of any starter this year. And he gave up a walk and he, you're thinking, well, maybe here it is. This rookie has never been in this situation. He's he's never came out of the bullpen, and now he here he is closing a playoff game on the road in a hostile crowd. But yeah, he he got it done. Well, that's because he his pitch hit the same exact spot like five times in a row, and I was like, dude, move the ball around. You're talking about like when he missed like five pitches outside, and he just wouldn't change location. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it worked out, but, and now the Mariners move on, and it's their pr- first playoff series win in uh, 21 years, uh, first division series in 21 years, and the uh, Seattle faithful are, are going to be able to actually watch them live 
at T-Mobile Park uh, next Saturday. And I, that's just such an incredible thing. And if I was won the lottery, I would absolutely go to that game. Wait, you, you haven't bought your tickets yet? John, are you serious? <laughs> I'm just playing with you. Yeah, um, hopefully you can go since you're, uh, you know, since you're a bachelor for the next six weeks. True. You know, you could go watch that game anywhere you want to. I mean, in my bed. Sounds wonderful. Okay. But it's not going to be okay. in T-Mobile Park. Maybe I'll go up and do heinous things to get into that game. Who knows? Yeah, you could just, uh, you know, sell your soul to the devil and... Sell something. Um, sell something, John. Yeah. Sell, sell something. Anyway, moving on. Let's uh, Let's predict the divisional series for all of these teams. So... Do we want to, uh, maybe this week I'll take the NL and you'll take the AL? Switch it up? Sure. So we're going to seesaw back and forth. Uh, I really feel like the Yankees will be able to beat the Guardians. Um, you know, I think our starting rotation is, is fairly good, especially one through three, to compete with the Guardians, and especially after they've already thrown out their two big horses and Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie. So I think we'll be able to go up pretty early on them. As long as, like, the keys for us is Cole not imploding on himself every time a tiny thing goes wrong. And for our bullpen to not be horrendous. So if we can get those two things, uh, it should be a pretty easy series win for us. Our offense is much better. We got Matt Carpenter coming back. Um, a lot of rest on all these players, too. And after such a pressured fill end of the season with Judge, um, Jason Bale record for home runs. I think they're going to feel very recharged and relaxed. I got the Yankees winning there. And then the Mariners. So what's the, go ahead. Hold, hold on. What's the um, rotation that you're seeing the Yankees use? Cole, Cole Cortez, Cortez, and then uh, Sevi, Severino. Okay. And I got and I then, gotta imagine if we get the game four, probably Jameson Tyone would be my guess. And then do you think that the Guardians go Quantrill, Plesak, Savale? Or do you think they loop in... Bieber and McKenzie early. Uh, well, it, there's a good amount of time. So, like, what was game? Game one is Friday. So, you got one, two, three, four. So, I would, if they're ballsy, they have a good rotation, so they don't need to, but they could throw out Bieber again for game two. That's possible, but we probably won't see Bieber till game three. It would be my guess. Yeah. I, I think Cal Control is probably a lock for game one, right. at least. Okay. Yeah, and then go ahead with the Mariners and the Astros. So, Mariners, Astros, division rivals. They've seen a lot of each other. And when the Mariners were really, like, on their high horse, they won 14 games in a row. They came into Houston. Uh, or Houston came to Seattle, I think, and just ran over them, steamrolled the Mariners. So, the Mariners got... They got a really tough challenge ahead of them, but I really feel like if anybody can beat the Astros in the American League, it's the Mariners because they've seen them a lot and they have very, very good pitching. Um, so I, I think the Astros inevitably will win this series, but I do think it's going to be a close series with the potential upset. But I, I got to, it's just hard to pick against the Astros for how dominant they are. After the Mariners won on Saturday, I 
you know, after celebrating, crying, jumping for joy, I um I thought, man, now they have to play the Astros like <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, they have to they have to play short-lived the the team that we always see at T-Mobile Park. Like all of these fans who have been waiting 21 years to see this great It'll probably be a great game, but like they're going to see a team that they already see like 50 times a season. You know, who do you think the rotation is going to be for the Mariners? Yeah, so they did. They burned Kirby for an inning, but I don't think that's going to matter. He he would have been. So they went Castillo Ray. So Gilbert will be game for sure. And then. You think they throw out Kirby for game two? I mean, I, I one inning, it's not that much work. Yeah, maybe they throw him out. And then do you think they... Castillo's got to be skip... for game three, for sure. Okay, so you think they skip Gonzalez and Flexen entirely? If they were smart against Houston, hell yeah. Like, that would be... That's the best move for them to go with their best pitcher in their first home game in 21 years and playing off that energy. 100%. It would be crazy for them to not start Castillo in game three. Okay. Yeah. And I guess that's the, that's the huge advantage of winning a series in two games, right? Is like, yeah, makes a huge difference that they pitched Saturday, not Sunday. Yeah. It gives them a little extra rest. Yeah. And then the Astros will probably go, let's see, Verlander and then Framber and then Urquidy. Yeah, I would guess. And then okay. who's maybe McCullers as their fourth starter? Vasquez? I don't know. I could see them. I could see him using McCullers as a relief if they need it, uh, just because he's been on and he's off. Been a, so you think Vasquez goes game four? Uh, maybe. Or Christian Javier. Or Christian Javier. They just have so much depth in their rotation. It's crazy. They can do whatever. Yeah. I think McCullers will depend on if they need a long reliever. He would be the perfect person to put in for two innings rather than one. That's true. Or, you know, one of those crazy late 15-inning games where they have burned their bullpen and they need a starter. Yeah, like the Rays? Yeah. Yeah, kind of like the (laughs) Not Kluber, though. Don't put Kluber in. All right. And then I'll go through the NL. So we have uh, the Dodgers and the Padres. So let me look at the Dodgers rotation because I, off the top of my head, I mean, who do you think that they're going to have as their top three? Oh, man. I'm sure it's been announced. Let me look it up. But just off the top of my head, probably. So I'm seeing. I feel like, I mean, do they put uh, Urias? Because he's been dominant to put Kershaw because he's played Kershaw in game one. Kershaw, where I'm looking, he's listed as SP1, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what they're going to do. I haven't, um, yeah, they haven't announced so, anything on Twitter about who the rotation is. Kershaw, Urias, and Tyler Anderson. And then what got, Ga- is Gonsolin hurt? What's up with him? I don't, I don't so he's game he's four. Hurt. He's, He's listed as SP4 despite having a pretty Cy Young caliber season. 
which shows you the depth of the Dodgers. Well, Dodgers won 111 games. The reason for it, I think it's Kershaw, Urias, Anderson, and then Gonsolin. So I think that's that's pretty easy for me. I think the only question would be either who gets game one, Kershaw or Urias. I think it's got to be Kershaw because he's Mr. Dodger. Bobby, did you give a game prediction going back for, did you say how many games the Mariners Astros will go and who wins? I didn't, but I can, and I didn't do it for oh, the Yankees. Do we want to do that? I didn't do it for the Yankees and guardians. Um, I think Yankees win in four, and I think Astros win in five. That's what I think. Okay. Okay. Five-game series. That means two in Seattle next Saturday and Sunday. That's right. It's going to happen. Okay. I just wanted to clear that up. So back to the... Dodgers Padres the Padres pitching staff would probably be Manaya, and then back to Musgrove no no it would go back to you Darvish you Darvish Blake Snell game one. Musgrove, unless they want to move Musgrove up for depending on what happens in the series because that's the thing too depending on where you're at if you're losing the series or winning the series can change your starters but I would bet that you Darvish goes game two Yeah, that's it's not terrible. Um, you are you are fighting an uphill battle against the Dodgers, but you know those are good pitchers. It's the playoffs, and then and I will predict that the Dodgers win in four. These are best of um, five series, by the way. Right, and then the Braves and the Phillies. So the Braves will start. Freed. Is Spencer Strider injured? He is injured, but they feel they haven't announced anything yet, but they feel confident that he will be um, on the roster for the DS. Okay. So do they go Freed, Kyle Wright, Spencer Strider? If he's healthy, and then who's there? Who who else there be? Well, Charlie Morton, Charlie Morton is the other and then guy. Odorizzi. Yeah. So do they skip Morton for their first three games, oh. or do they use him in one of those? I'm gonna sneeze. No, I think we're safe. Okay, we're good. Um, <clears throat> what was the question, John? I was dying. Do they? Do they? Does Charlie Morton start any of the first three games? If if Spencer Strider is healthy, then no. I can't imagine. Yeah, I would say no. But if he's, if Spencer Strider is not healthy, then yeah, he'll start game three. Okay. And then when it comes to the Phillies, who also have an advantage of only playing two games this last weekend, they have Ranger Suarez, another great baseball name, Kyle Gibson, or do they go back to Zach Wheeler? I think it's hard to tell. I would not trust Kyle Gibson. It's hard to tell nowadays how rotations are going to be set up and who's going to be where. But yeah, I would assume if because he's going to be in four days, it's his normal normal rest period, four days rest in between starts. 
that it should be Zach Wheeler in game two, I would guess. But then who is, you said Gibson is their fourth? That'll be tough yeah. for them. I, I don't think they'll get to four games anyway, but. Gibson's the only guy that gets close to Charlie Morton's age out there. 34. 34? Are you kidding? Max Scherzer's almost 40. Justin Verlander, I think, is well, 40. I, what are you talking about? No, I meant, I meant in that series. John. In that series. John. But you know what? Zach Wheeler is older than I thought. He's 32. Anyway, these are the random uh, thoughts that I had. He must have come into the league pretty old. Well, he... Oh, yeah. He's he like 24, really. 25. Uh, that's not that. I mean, that's pretty normal for most players to make. We can't, like, base rookie appearances on, like, Juan Soto and Tatis who come in the league when they're, like, 20 or 19. That's not normal. I thought every player was, like, Juan Soto and... and uh Yes, John. Every Leo. player is like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Juan Soto. Correct. They're all just instantly good at 19. I thought that's how it works. And they all make $350 million. So, yeah, I'm going to go back to this series uh, and say that this is kind of... I really want to be bold. Are we going to doing bold predictions or are we just doing boring? I mean, I'm usually the bold one and you're the boring one. So if you want to be okay. bold, John, I, I say you go for it. I, I'm going to go bold and I'm going to say brave sweep. I don't think that's bold, John. I think that's the boring, easy call and just goes no, to I show how unbold I you think are. It's bold. The boring call would say in four. I think I think because the easy call is to say they sweep. Are not Sweeps are not that common. What do you I mean? mean? All I'll th look three of the, the four series were sweeps but... in the wild card round. What are you talking about? Those were those were best of three. But I'm there's talking still best of five. sweeps, John. Well, one of these series has to be a sweep, and this is the one that's most likely. I agree. I agree with that. M maybe the Yankees Guardians. Maybe that's probably the second most likely. So yeah, uh, those are our predictions. So none of the teams have really changed for the championship series that we predicted. Still top four seeds. No, I... It's hard to see the top four seeds not making the championship series. I think if any teams are going to break through, it would probably be the Mariners and or Padres. Yes, and I would... I Would, would you say they're equally likely? Yes. Or would you, I? I've, I no. You know what? No, I think the Mariners are more likely than the Padres to break through, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Because just not because the Padres are worse than the no. Mariners, but because the Dodgers are better than the Astros. Right, and I feel like the Mariners, while they yeah, they didn't fare that well, they were more competitive during the season, and I just feel like there's some kind of magic in the air with the Mariners and you can't count that out. That's like an untangible thing. But like when it comes to October, like the team that has the magic is the team that wins. That's true. You just got to get hot at the right time true. in baseball. And they have lights out bullpen. Like they really do. So if their starters do well and they're in it, like, yeah. So I, I again, I think the Astros will win inevitably, but I think the Mariners have the best chance of breaking through out of the, and breaking through out of the uh, the tight-knit group that is the top four seeds. 
And Bobby, do they play every single day or do they get a rest in between games? No, you know, the schedule came out today and it was kind of weird. Let me look this up real quick because I believe that, at least for the American League, is that they get a day off between games one and two, which is very weird. And it's never been like that. Well, that makes sense because it looks like my NL teams get a day off between two and three. So they they want to overlap it to where there's always baseball every day, but each team gets a day off. Let's see. That makes sense. Where is it at? The so the uh the, the NL, the Dodgers and the uh Padres will play Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Yeah, so it's like all alternating. And typically in years past, the first two games are played on consecutive days. And I believe the American League usually starts first. So, like, the first games of the division series are just game one of the ALDS between whatever the two series are. The NL does not play that day. And then day two, all teams play, which would be game two for the American League division series and game one for the National League division series. That's how it's always been. So they kind of switched that up because now... Every series starts on the same day, which is Tuesday. Yeah. And uh, Bobby, I since we're on this topic, I thought we would close with a related listener question that was submitted to the podcast. Oh, did we get a question? Okay, what is it? We did. The question is, why is baseball unlike some of the other major sports and still has five-game series rather than seven-game series? That's a good question. And I honestly don't have a good answer for that. I mean, up until this year, we were playing one game wildcard playoffs, and that didn't quite make sense. My only guess is because the Major League Baseball season is so long compared to the rest of the four American, um, North American major sports leagues, that if they were to do seven game series for every round of the playoffs, not only you're starting to worry about uh, player fatigue and injury, but then you're starting to creep pretty far in November. And uh, if you know anything about baseball, it is uh, it's not a sport that has played very well in the cold. And I would think that those are some of the, my assumptions on the arguments on why we don't do a seven game series and division series is because we don't want to push too far into November, but also um, to give enough break and rest for the players that just completed a marathon of 162 games. Now just off the top of my head, but as far as like major league baseball coming out and stating why, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure on that. I've really seen a lot of coverage on that topic itself. Um, I thought of it. Uh, baseball is a unique sport because starting pitchers really impact the outcome of the game. You know, if you think about the NBA, they're not throwing a different like starting lineup out there, completely different every single day. But in baseball, it is kind of the case with the starting pitcher. It really can make or break the likeliness of a team winning a game, and because of that, you need to play more games to determine if a team is better. So from the competitive standpoint, a seven game series does make sense from the outside perspective looking in. Um, 
but I'm sure there are specific reasons on why they don't do that. You might be saying, well, that's just two games. You're right. I don't think it'd be improbable to stretch it out to seven games, but I just think maybe it's a preventative action for injury and a break for the players after a gauntlet of a season. Yeah, my immediate reaction was just weather. Um, right. I have a very vivid image in my mind of Yasuel Puig in the outfield in Boston in the World Series, like shivering. Yeah, man, it's <laughs> because it's hard because they played the game in L.A., which is still warm in November. Well, I guess this was like Halloween, basically November. late October, early November. <laughs> And then, like, you see all the Dodgers players in Boston with, like, the neck. Um, yeah, those turtlenecks those that neck come things. up into a hood. and Yeah. It's just really funny. I mean, it's it, like we're getting close to football gear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all you can see is their eyes. Yeah, so that's that's immediately what came to mind when I thought of that question. I also think, in my opinion, like, it would make more sense for the league to shorten the regular season to 150 or 152 and then extend to seven games because happen. I'm sure they make way more, they make way more money in the playoffs than they no do way. In t- like t- 10 September. You're games. talking about six teams compared to 30 teams. No way. How, how many people are watching on September 20th? You multiply the revenue of 30 teams or 15 ballparks revenues of attendance towards the end of the season and do that to three and but i'm talking like talking tv and tv money on top of that like there's no way they'd make tremendously more money they would never cut the amount of games they're never going to take money out of their own pocket i don't know i think the i think two extra playoff games especially if those series go seven games like a lot of people tune in to games six and seven yeah i I think from a fan standpoint it makes a lot of sense and it's a good question because i've never really seen it covered too much if you added that you would have to add uh an extra three days on top of and then probably an extra four days on top of the schedule that already is and now then we have the wild card rounds, which are a best of three. Then you're like you're getting into mid-November for the World Series, so I, I think the weather is shrink, probably the shrink that regular season. It's never going to happen. Man. Shrink it's it. Never going to happen. But I think weather. I probably think it's, is the biggest factor on why. I think it's not going to happen because the, the players don't want it to happen, for the record books. You know, the, like think of all those players that had to. Like, think of Aaron Judge, who had to... Hell no. I think the players would be all for it. Are you kidding me? They would love to play less games and get on the offseason. The owners would never let it happen. Major League Baseball would never let it happen. If, if, you know, if a player next year is like, man, I have to hit 63 home runs in 150 games, what what is this BS? John, you are off your own little rocker. I'm just I'm just coming up with crazy ideas now. But uh, thank you to whoever submitted that question. That was uh, that was a good question. Interesting. Submit more. Yeah. All right. Do we have anything else, or shall we kick off the week? Yeah. Good rest day in tomorrow. You know, no baseball on Monday. Take it easy. No throwing tomorrow. Just sitting on the couch, and then we'll go to action on Tuesday. Yeah. Mariners start their division series Tuesday 
obviously the Yankees do too. So it's been nice to not have crippling anxiety watching baseball the last week. Um, so I'm not really looking mm-hmm. forward to that creeping back up, but I am also very excited for the Yankees to start their playoff run. At least since Hana's gone, you won't have anybody to scare. It's true, <laughs> except for Moody, out. my cat. He'll be underneath the bed all day. Um, and whoever is going, if any of our listeners are going to playoff games, especially a game at uh, a little T-Mobile park on Saturday, I hope you have a great time. We're jealous. Super jealous. Um, Super jealous. That's going to be electric, amazing, incredible. You got the money or the resources to go. You got to do it. Like, make it happen. For sure. All right. We will be back next Sunday after all of these games finish. Could be a late one, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, And uh, we'll talk about the next round of the playoffs a week from today. That's it, man. That's our future. All right, everybody. All right. Follow us Twitter, Instagram at Yankee Six and at Thorpe Theory. Have a wonderful week. Talk to you later. Talk to you later, folks. Mm-hmm.